Hey everyone, welcome to Shift, or welcome back if this isn't your first time here. Shift is a daily podcast where the thoughts and insights presented center around shifting expectations and being in a constant state of growth. I'm excited that you're here. Hopefully, you'll find value in the content presented, and if so, I hope you'll visit the website togetherweshift.com and check out some of the other resources available. Now let's get into it. Welcome to the first episode of Shift, the podcast. This is crazy. Yeah, man. I've been working on this for months, and I'm super pumped, a little nervous. I'm sure I got lots to learn, so we're going to take it one step at a time, and uh, I'm super excited. So with me today is someone I consider to be a friend, part of my family, a mentor, uh, Petey Kinder. Petey is the lead pastor of my church, Peak City Church. And as I was putting together this podcast, which I really, really sort of was like, man, I don't even know who to ask first. I don't know where to go. I'm not sure what to do. But the reality is, is that this, this podcast is all about radical accountability. It is about living in just that raw state and really sitting in vulnerability and my intention is to expose our listeners and our viewers in some cases to people who've shifted their own lives, who've overcome things and really created radical progress towards something bigger than themselves. So good, man. A lot of this content is going to be things that interest me. And, and my hope is that, that it helps you. And my intention is to guide the conversations towards examples of where vulnerability and accountability and in a lot of cases, grace have had positive impacts on people's lives. So when I thought about who am I bringing on first, it was Petey kept coming to mind. Like you just kept coming up, you kept coming up. And I was like, really, really? And so there's my own faith journey, which is a piece of this. But as I was thinking about you last night, um, which is kind of weird to say, but <laughs> it's all uh, good. I, I was thinking about you as I was going to bed last night and I actually had to get out of bed and make some notes because Bro, you came to Colorado Springs from, I believe, Indy yep. last December yep. and moved your family from an area that you'd been for years and you knew and, and, and you probably were pretty well rooted and you had a good thing going and you brought your, your family all the way to Colorado Springs. And I don't know if you've done this exercise, but I want to I share something with you. Since you got to town, you've been in a new city, a new church. We had a global pandemic, which canceled sports, concerts, all kinds of restaurants. I mean, you probably haven't even tried all the best restaurants in town yet. Trying to. No school, um, which was crazy, right? So there's all this really raw first time, first time stuff. And then socially, we've been dealing with George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, the unrest that comes out of that. Heavy, heavy topics. Um, The election. Right. Like that's a heavy, heavy topic and church and politics. Sometimes those are intertwined in ways that maybe we can get into Um, 2.1 million acres of wildfires. We 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 bought a building. We raised one point four million dollars. And I say we mean it just because I show up there on Sundays. But you and and the elders and the people involved in the church raised one point four million, I think, in like 30 days. It It was it was a lot in a little amount of time, a lot in a little. 
And then, oh, okay, so you buy the building. So now we have to build a building. <laughs> so there's that, like raising the money was just the first step. Yep. And so like of all the people I know who've probably faced more challenges and more stuff and had to get raw, be vulnerable, take accountability. Like, and if you're watching this right now, you can see the smile on this man's face. Like he has taken it with grace. He has just rolled with it. And it was like a no brainer for me to, mm -hmm. to ask you to come and share and talk and just sort of vibe on what's been happening. And, and I really want to like, just welcome you Thanks, man. and say thank you for taking the time to do this. Cause like crazy. And, and, and there's, there's no, uh, there's no family in our church that I think <clears throat> that I've met so far that um, I think in, in embodies that, that value we have of being raw. You know, that's something we talk about church all the time is, you know, we, we don't want to live with the pressure to perform man. we just, we want to walk in vulnerability and transparency and, and be raw. And I'm telling you y'all are, I've told you this before over coffee. I've told you in person, man. So this, this isn't, you know, saying anything to impress the people you all live raw, man, you live vulnerable and transparent. And I think you're, you're making our church a better place because of it, man. So when you said you're doing a podcast about this, you want to have me on? And I was like, man, that's a, that's a no brainer, man. I, I, you know, when, when, when we moved to Colorado Springs, you all were one of the first families we met. I mean, I think you all had just been coming to church for a couple months when we got there. Yeah. And uh, I remember meeting you and finding out, find out how many kids you have. <laughs> I was like, I love this guy and I want to get to know him and his wife and his family more. And so, man, we just, we love you guys and uh, happy to help in any way I can on this podcast, man. I love it. I love it. I appreciate it. And we do have a grip of kids. Uh, it, it, it's like, I think I got a basketball team and a couple on the bench. You got so, a, you got a bench full of them, man. It's great, man. I got, I, got I feel like that's all, that's, you know, maybe one too many. Don't tell my kids that, but uh, <laughs> Eight, eight, man. That's a y'all are heroes. Yeah, are heroes. it's well, I don't know about that. We're we're one day at a time. Luckily, two of them are adults and have have, have gotten into their own stuff. So That's I right. really am only like managing six right now. So yeah, yeah. You know, I hear you. It's good. You. It's good though. But I want to start. Um, if if we can, I kind of want to start with just your story. Like I know you've battled with some stuff, and I don't want to I don't want right. to speak out of turn or, or say anything you don't want to say. But I know that you've you've been vulnerable enough to share some of your own struggles. And, and I'd love to know, you know, a little bit of your story and just kind of tell folks wh where you're coming from. And, you know, yeah. it's, uh, you don't necessarily have to share anything you don't want to share, but I'd love to hear you um, just kind of tell us who you are and what you're about and how you ended up in Colorado Springs. Yeah, man. <clears throat> yeah, dude. So I, um, I, I, I grew up with what I feel like was a pretty average American upbringing, you know, like no, no crazy huge uh drama or trauma good mom and dad um we didn't we didn't grow up going to church but i mean that's like most most families in america you know it's like it's probably 50 50 on how many people grew up going to church how many people didn't and that number's getting less and less as the years go by so i mean i didn't i didn't grow up going to church i didn't grow up with any like aspirations to be a pastor or anything like that man i my, my family go occasionally on christmas and easter and check things out but we're just a pretty normal family and you know, I had that normal teenage upbringing where, you know, you do what, whatever the teenager does, you're chasing the things that, te that teenagers are chasing, you're chasing popularity, you're chasing girls, you're chasing the party scene and all that. And it was just normal, right? But I think that what I, what I discovered by the time I was probably about 17 or so is what I feel like I've seen to be true now that I'm older um, is that, you know, average 
like the average American life, the normal way of doing things is so messed up, so broken. You know, when you, when you live life just like everybody else is living, the way our culture's going, it, it leaves you with a lot of, um, uh, let, let's say it like this, you enter adulthood with a lot of unhealthy habits, uh, jacked up perspectives, you, you, you drag a lot of baggage in, like normal in our world, I feel like is just messed up. And so, man, I, I found myself to be, you know, 17, 18 years old, doing what everybody else was doing. And I was just crazy unhappy. I mean, I, I didn't feel like I was fulfilled. I felt like I'd, I'd go to bed as a, you know, as a, as a late teenager, feeling like there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing right now. And so I got invited to go to a, go to a church. Um, and I said no for a long time. And I had this one friend that just kept inviting me, kept, kept um, asking me to come with him. Wasn't, wasn't pushy with it, but just kept asking me. Finally, I, I heard there's a couple of hot girls that went to his church. And so I was like, man, if there's some, if there's some girls there, I'll go check That's it out. It. That's it, man. Um, so I, I went and that, that church changed my life. You know, that was the church where I, I finally saw a group of people that, you know, they weren't weird about faith. They weren't pushy with it, but they just seemed to genuinely love people. And they were, they were so inclusive of anyone that walked in the doors, even people like me who, you know, I didn't have a reputation at school of being like a good guy or a faith guy or anything like that. And they, they just loved that I was there. And I just saw great examples of godly families that loved each other. And, um, and then I heard them talk about faith in a way I'd never heard before. It was like that they, mm. they were presenting Jesus, <clears throat> who he really is, what he's really all about in a way I had never heard before. And to hear, uh, you know, what, what the New Testament says that God is really all about and who Jesus really is, man, that, that messed me up in the best way, changed my life forever. And so I made that decision to, to start following Jesus at age 17. And, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't always done it well, but man, I've never looked back. So I've been following him now for about 18, 19 years. Um, and it's been, it's been just a life-changing decision to, to start following him. And, you know, that, that led me on this road of, becoming a pastor which is like the last thing in the world there, there's still people in my hometown that when they hear what I'm what I do now they're like Petey who he's doing what because like I was just not I was not that guy but man I, I'm just telling you following Jesus has made my life not easier at all but just qualitatively better in so many ways that I just I just kept feeling like I need to tell more and more people about who he really is I think our world is is really um, has, has a skewed perception thanks to Christians, thanks to churches, thanks to culture, thanks to all kinds of things. I, I think our world's got a, a really, really skewed perspective on who God really is and who, who Jesus really was, what he's really all about. So, man, I'm, <clears throat> I'm just consumed with telling people about who he really is. And that kind of put me on the road being a pastor, being a preacher and stuff I never thought I would do, man. And so been serving in ministry so for about 15 years. I've served in Seattle, Washington, Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, Kentucky, where I'm originally from, and now Colorado Springs. So yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, it's kicked my butt in a lot of ways. I've, I've dealt with all kinds of things, you know, like I said, becoming a follower, follower of Jesus hasn't made my life easier. It's just made it better in a lot yeah. of ways. You know, I've, I've still dealt with depression. I've still dealt with addiction. I've still dealt with, you know, uh, my marriage has been on the rocks before we've had to go through counseling and all kinds of that stuff. So it hasn't, it hasn't been like, you know, the easiest road in the world, but it's been so good and so rewarding. And I feel like, um, I feel like I'm a better man, better husband, 
better father. Um, there's so much about who I am that uh, I would not be where I am if it wasn't for that decision to start following Jesus. And so that's why, that's why I'm here in Colorado Springs. That's why I came across you. That's how we met. And I love <clears throat> um, yeah, when, man, that's where I'm at. When you, when you decided to become a pastor, like, so there's a couple of things that, that jump out at me from that. You know, one <laughs> is that like, I think people have this mythology that like pastors are, they got their life together. Everything's smooth. Everything's good. Usually they don't make any money or they're like televangelist pastors who are loaded on private jets. Right. Like there's, I don't think people like in general think of like this middle ground. And so, you know, and at 17, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about career and family and, and what your life looks like, the idea of, of seminary isn't super attractive. So I'm curious if you wouldn't mind sharing, like, like, did you come to that decision like, were you pulled into that or was that something like you felt like, what was that like for you? Yeah, <clears throat> I think for me, when I, <clears throat> when I first felt that, that pull to start following Jesus and then telling more people about him. And I, I started just basic. I, I remember I shared, I shared Jesus, like who Jesus really was with my best friend who I grew up with. And he, he was like me, he didn't grow up going to church, you know, and then I started sharing it with my mom and dad and getting them to come with me to church. And I just, it was just, I mean, whoever I loved and whoever I came across, I just wanted to share this really, really important part of me now with them. And as that grew more and more, I was like, you know what? I should probably learn the Bible because that seems like an important thing. And so, maybe, you know, I just, I didn't, I didn't grow up reading it. I didn't know anything about it. It's so like when I showed up to Bible college seminary, man, my first class was on the book of Acts and I had never read the book of Acts. So I was like, this will be cool. I, I guess I'll read this and study it. So for me, it was way more about just like learning how to be a better follower of Jesus. And then I just kept walking through the open doors that, that came in my life. You know, I, I've, I've served in basically every role in the church you could ever possibly imagine. And it was just because I kept walking through open doors. So it was like, I, I've worked with kids and I honestly, like when I was a kid's pastor, I don't really like kids outside of my own, <laughs> but same, but it was like, and I got a bunch of them. Right, right. But it, but it was an open door. And so I just, I just kept walking through the open doors, man. And so, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't like, um, I've got these aspirations to be this big, you know, well-known pastor or anything like that. It's just, I want to tell as many people as I can about Jesus. And every time I've had an open door to do it, I take it. And so that's led me all over the country. It's led us to pack a crap ton of life into 35 years so far. So there's no real big grand master plan. You know, I, I, I told our church this past weekend, I hope to be a pastor for the rest of my life and tell people about Jesus till the day I die. But if I don't get to be a pastor as my job someday, I'm still going to tell people about Jesus because it's changed my life, man. He's he, when, when I found out who he really was and what he's really all about, everything changed. Yeah, that's crazy. I love it. Um, you said a couple of times who Jesus really is. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting use of words <laughs> because a lot of people would say, do you know Jesus? Right. Or what do you know about Jesus? So I want to, I want to do two things. I want to recognize the amount of like vulnerability in just going through the doors that are open for you, yeah. because that, that definitely takes a, a relatively high level of trust mm -hmm. that I don't like kids, but I'm being called to do kids ministry. 
and stepping into that and, and being able to learn from that and move forward. Um, so I want to, I want to honor that first of all, because I think that, that, that could go over people's heads very easily. I want to kind of approach this from a space of the podcast as a whole, isn't really about faith. There's tons right. of faith-based podcasts out there that give sure. people a place to unpack their spiritual journey, their faith journey. This isn't this I'm, I wanted you to be on because you've had a huge impact on my life in the last 18 months or so, because realistically, yes, we started attending peak city like the week or two before you arrived. And one of the things that drew me to the church and reconnected my walk with Christ is the way that peak city and the others involved in that ministry talk about who Jesus really is. And, and it's come up a few times. So I would love it if you would sort of unpack that a little bit because it's not just Jesus. Yeah. And man, honestly, I think that's why, you know, if you've got anybody listening to this that, you know, isn't interested in faith, I think it's a great segue into what we are really talking about. Because, you know, for me, when I, when I, when I heard about who Jesus was from the world and from culture, from grandma and grandpa or whoever, it just always seemed like it was a, um, and you've heard me say this before, Keith, but it, it, it seems like that God was portrayed as a kind of random rule-based God. It's this God who, you know, he's got some things he really doesn't like you to do. And so you better not do them. If you want to make him happy, make sure you follow the rules. Don't do the bad things, do the good things. And, and, and it's, it's stuff that, you know, most of us struggle with. And so then it promotes this, like, well, just act like you're a good person. Just put on your Sunday best and just like, just act like you're better. Uh, act like you're conforming to the rules, kind of hypocrisy that we're all sick of seeing. And so I just want nothing to do with that. But then once I got to know who Jesus really was, it's like, oh, no, no, no. What I saw is that Jesus was very comfortable around people who were nothing like him. You know, one of our favorite preachers, Andy Stanley, always says that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. He, he was very comfortable with people that disagreed with him. He's very comfortable around people who didn't live like him or obey him. And at the end of the day, when I found out that Jesus actually knows exactly who I am, he knows every dark thought, everything I've ever done, every, everything inside of me that's messed up. I'm fully known by him, yet I'm also fully loved. And there's unconditional grace and unconditional acceptance. And I don't have to perform to be accepted by him. When I started learning that stuff, I was like, oh my gosh, now, now I can get down to the, the real nitty gritty stuff of life. I can be vulnerable. I can be transparent. I can, I can say, oh yeah, I've had this dark thought or, oh yeah, I've struggled with this, this addiction or, oh yeah, my, my marriage is here right now. And I can be just raw with it. That's the word we always use, right? Is yep. raw. Um, I can be raw with it because like the end of the day, God already knows it and he already accepts me and he already loves me. And at the end of the day, I don't have to feel that pressure to perform anymore. That was one of the things that drew me to the way of following Jesus. I feel like for the first time, I could be honest and I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't suffer consequence for it. In fact, I'd be rewarded for it. But that kind of humble transparency, that kind of um, uh, commitment to becoming the person you were created to be, becoming a better version of yourself, that that's actually something that God looks at and he loves. He's not He's not, he's, 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 he's not surprised when you get raw, he knows it and he yeah. loves you. You know, when, when yeah. I heard that, man, that was game over. And that, that put me on the path towards vulnerability and accountability and transparency. Yeah. It's crazy how 
different the story of the Bible or the story of Jesus is portrayed. Yeah. You know, and and we could we could spend days or weeks and I'm sure there's whole courses in in colleges centered around how religions have damaged, you know, societies and and, yeah. and challenged things. For me it was it was really interesting. I was raised in the church. I was raised Catholic and you know nothing against any any particular denomination that anyone anyone believes in. It didn't align for me once I got old enough to leave the home because of very much what you said, it was checking the boxes. It was doing all the right things. And I got to a place where for me, I just felt like, okay, I've done enough in the, you know, column of do nots that I didn't see a way out for me. So I sort of just was like, I'm out. I I did enough. I lost the game. I got to go sit on the bench. That's it. And I didn't think about being able to be redeemed or being able to like, I just didn't, I didn't have that relationship. And my daughter, one of my daughters uh, was very vocal about wanting to go to church and needing to go to church. And we kept driving by peak city had another name at the time, but we kept driving by there and, and I just felt called to go there. And so we did. And from jump, I've, I, I was hit with this different reality and this different perception that kind of took me out of the Bible and just brought me into what Jesus taught. Yeah. And I really broke down and kind of recognized my own arrogance. Right. And I have this, I have this axiom that I try to live by is whenever I feel resistance, I want to lean into it. And so I was super resistant to taking my girl to church. <laughs> and it was like, all right, well, am I going to man up and do what I teach others to do? Cause part of my other business is coaching and mentoring and helping people to unlock their upper limiting beliefs and things of that nature. And I just got to this place where it was like, all right, it's time to put up or shut up. Like I'm getting mad resistance. So I need to lean into that. And when I did, it was almost as if I was in a, like, I mean, so you're a fan of the UFC. So I felt like internally I was in the octagon. I was struggling with like, what is happening here? I believe these things. I've created these other stories. You know, religions are divisive. All these things that that in hindsight, I was like, man, the arrogance that I walked with around those things that I truly didn't understand. And I could could take bits and pieces of the information and make my argument and defend my, my belief. But at the end of the day, it was like, Oh, but you're only playing with half the chess set, son. Like, what, like, what are you doing? And it took, it took my child to be the mirror for me and say, "Hey, you, we need to go do this thing." And so we did. And and you know, she's got, she gets a little cocky once in a while because you know, people like yourself are kind enough to talk about us and our involvement in church. She's like, "Yeah, I did that. I, that was me." And I'm like, "Yes, baby girl, that was you." And oh, and that might've been God working through you. So let's, you, you just, you're just the messenger. So I love, I love the way that we've been able to talk about that and how you and your leadership team have shifted the conversation towards the marks of the church, which are raw, passionate, and clear. Yeah. And, and I struggle with the passion part. I'm real good. I'm real academic. I'm really straightforward. And I love to like get into the details of the thing. Um, and, and honestly, like I'm learning passion through this project because 
there's parts of me that, that I don't know where this podcast is going to go. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm being pulled to do it. Awesome. And everyone I've asked and everyone I've invited to be a part of it hasn't just said yes, they've been excited to do it. And I feel like there's some parallels there to sort of your journey where, you know, you came to Jesus at 17, but you didn't look back. Like you jumped all in. Yep. And, and so I love the example that that sets for people in kind of listening and opening those doors and trusting where that's going to take you. Yeah. Um, so I guess kind of the thing that I, I want to ask is, like what's next for you? Like, I, I, I know you just had a birthday. So happy belated birthday. Hey, thanks man. Um, and, and I know that, you know, it was sort of a milestone cause you're crossed into your late thirties, late thirties, you know, getting old 36, man. So what's, what's that next chapter look like for you? We talk a lot about next steps, right? So outside of us opening a new building and what all the, all the things that come with that, are you looking beyond that yet? Are you considering what the next steps are? For you personally, yeah, you not necessarily. Know, yeah, I think that um, I feel like I'm doing the same thing now that I was doing when I was 17 and first following, first starting to follow Jesus. I don't feel like I don't feel like a whole lot has changed, and so I just keep doing the same things over and over. Like I, I'm trying to make sure that I keep my eyes up and my head up for any open door to help people understand that. Jesus loves them and Jesus is for them and they can be honest and raw and real and he accepts them as they are. And, and so, man, I've just been, that's been like my life's commitment. It's just, I'm going to walk through that door. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that at the end of my life, more people understand who Jesus really is and what he's really all about. And so right now, man, I think, you know, God's, God's doing some incredible things. Um, my family's loving, loving where we're at right now. I think raising kids to me is, you know, as you know, one of the most difficult things in the world. So I'm, I'm constantly thinking about, you know, how can I help our church? How can I help people in our community? And then how can I make sure that, you know, my wife and I stay real connected in our marriage and that we, that we raise our kids really, really well. You know, you've, if you've been around the church world, you probably heard about pastor's kids and all that, you know, growing up and being crazy and uh-huh. how, how, you know, growing up in the church damages them, man. I just want to, I want a different story for my kids. I want them to grow up and, and be, and feel like they were, they were blessed and fortunate to be in a, in a ministry family, not cursed by it, you know? Sure. So I, I'm focusing a lot on that. Uh, but man, at the end of the day, I think that's, I think one of the problems that we get into is making too many plans and too many goals. that are too far out there. I think my short term, like one to three years out is just, I don't, I don't want to put any limits on what God could do through me and through our family. I just want to keep walking through all the open doors that we possibly have my, if you, if you told me like put on paper, what's your selfish goal? My selfish goal is that I, that we get to pastor here and lead, lead at peak city till I'm 65, 70 years old, and then hang it up and uh, pass it on to the next great uh, leader and, and just do that, man. That's what I want. That's what I hope for. That's what I pray for. But more than anything, more than any of that, I just want, Man, if I can help my neighbors, if I can help my family, if I can help people on my street, people in my community, know that that Jesus is for them, not against them, I'll I'll die happy. Yeah, man. that's awesome. It's so good. I've been putting a lot of thought lately into what it means to serve locally, mm-hmm. and you know, we t- we talked a little bit in the beginning about like all the craziness in the world, and there's so much of it, and there's there's so many things that that 
I think all of our hearts go out and get pulled towards things. Like when you, when you have something like the murder of George Floyd, like I get moved. I want to do something. I want to talk to people. I want to take action. And then a month later, we're focused on the next thing because I can't do anything about that situation. And so it's really been a thing that I've thought about a lot lately is not trying to solve the world's problems, but really focusing on my kid. And I've had people ask me like, well, what are you going to do about it? And my response has been, I'm going to raise my children to be compassionate and vulnerable and to give grace to others when they get wronged, because we all do the things that we get mad at everybody else for. Like, I mean, I've not taken anyone's life, but I've definitely used language that was divisive. I've done things that was divisive. Um, I've been around people who've done things that maybe they shouldn't. And I didn't, I didn't hold them to account for that. So in some way I feel like I'm, 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 I've supported those things. Right. And so for me, it's like, I really have just turned everything into this local viewpoint of how can I help take my children, put them out into the world. And we, luckily we got enough of them. It'll probably make some sort of impact. (laughs) (laughs) I got got enough. You know, you're so, you're so true. And I think that, you know, especially in the social media culture, we got in, in the, the age, the, the digital age, there's such a value and a prominence placed on your platform on how big and, you know, widespread your impact can be. Yeah. Any of the people that are really making a difference, it all just like, if it, if it gets to a huge platform, it's usually because they had a heart just to help locally. And it just kept, kept helping people and helping more people and more people and more people. And man, if your heart is all just to help people and it starts small, you know, that, you know, again, I go, I I go back to Jesus. He said, if you're faithful, if you're faithful, little, I'll set you over much. Like he ain't going to set you over me. He, he, he's not going to help you have a massive platform if you're not faithful with the people in front yeah. of you. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, the people that are going to show up to your funeral are going to be your kids, your neighbors, people you went to church with. It's going to be yep. the people that you were the closest to locally. So, man, why not focus yeah. locally? Yeah, I think it's such an important thing. And, and enough so that there's some like global organizations that my wife and I have been involved with for years that we're actually stepping back from because we feel like, that time and energy that we've been putting towards those things while they're helpful and they're certainly have merit and they're valuable. I feel like there's the impact is felt much, much stronger at home. And, and I use this analogy with another person I was talking to, but it's like, if I fire a bullet from here to, you know, the concrete wall, that's 20 feet away from me, the impact is going to be pretty massive. But if I do that and try and hit your house clear across town, yeah. you won't even know. It won't probably won't even get there, right? And so the impact is just much smaller. And I'm looking at ways that like we can really have a stronger impact, which is also kind of selfish because you know, we give because we receive, right? Like I love being involved in all the things that I'm involved in because i I have a really strong belief in proximity. Like mm-hmm. you can't hate close up. Right. Right. And I think that might even be an Andy Stanley thing, but it's like, you, you can't hate people and you can't, you can't um, judge them or, you know, it's one of the things that like, I don't know if you're familiar with clubhouse. Yeah. uh, This new app that's relatively popular. Um, I'm loving it because it isn't me saying something to you and then going and making something in the kitchen or leaving or what and like just dropping it and and taking off like i'm held to account for what i say because we're speaking to one another 
And when we talk to one another, we, we act different. <laughs> we oh. act a little bit different, right? So I really think that if we could get that to roll in a little bit and, and be that local, it would be so much, so much easier for people to, to get a better benefit out of it. Yeah. And you know, there's, um, I've had, I've had people ask me before, cause like pastors always get, um, uh, or you often see pastors that like try to write books and try to like, you know, do that kind of thing. And it, it almost always feels like you're trying to get a big platform. Right. And I do have a passion to write. I mean, it's something that's, it's like on my goals in the next one to five years is I want to start writing more. I want to start, but, but my, my goal is proximity. My goal is local. Yeah. And I told, told my wife and, and a, a counselor of ours last year that my goal in writing is I'm writing for my kids. And, and if it ends up helping anybody outside of that, great. But I'm going to try to write a book for my, 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 my boys before they enter into their teenage years on how to get through the teenage years. Yeah. I want to, I want to write a book for my kids on marriage before they get married. I want to write a book for my boys and my girl on leadership before they get into the workplace and start leading. Yeah. You know, and if it helps them, great. And, and that's my goal in my heart. If it helps beyond that, okay, whatever. That, that's icing on the cake. At the end of the day, I just want to impact them locally, close up at home. Yeah, I love that. And it's so great when the intention is that, right? right. Like, it you, yeah, it, it, well, it does. Are you familiar with um, Stephen Pressfield? He's, nah. a, he's an author. He's got a new book coming out, but he wrote a book called The, the War of Art. Okay. It's all about, it's all about how to lean into some of those goals and some of those desires. But one of the things that he talks about is if you feel called to do something and he's, he speaks about it mostly from the, from the viewpoint of an author, cause he's an author and that's what he knows. But what he talks about is like, when you feel called to do something, you do it because you have to do it. Not because it's going to sell, not because people are going to like it. He said, if you start thinking about, well, is so-and-so going to like, then just scrap it because you're not doing it for the right reasons. Right. So it was really helpful for me because I did write a book and, and I self-published a couple of years ago and I had a lot of people ask me what it was about, why I was doing, you know, how, like, was I going to go through this process or that process? And for me, it was like, it was cathartic for me. I had to get, and it was so easy to write. And I've started two other books that have kind of faded away because I was just told I had to keep writing, but it wasn't like, those aren't the things that I want to write about. Um, and so, yeah, I love that the, the, that's the, the intention, right? And sometimes having the goal is much less important than having the intention to accomplish a thing, right? And then being trusting enough and vulnerable enough to go, I want to do this. Yeah. And I'm not going to put too much of a plan around it because yep. I'm going to let God have his work in it. And I'm going to let him direct um, yeah, where that so, goes. That's so good. And, and it, isn't that weird that like in the, in the especially post-pandemic, the global digital age has made things seem like they're so online and they're so widespread. And if you don't have like nationwide prominence, then you're, then you're nothing. And in the middle of that, we all realize, nah, that stuff doesn't actually affect us as much as what's right. No. up close. I, I think, I think the digital age is actually going to push us towards more local, more up close and personal. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, yeah. this, this is why we're doing what we're doing as a church right now. You know, we're, we're trying to make sure that everything we do is live and local, yep. up close and personal. Um, cause I think that, I think our world's starved for it, man. Weren't we supposed to talk about vulnerability and accountability? We're getting on to creativity. Something. I love it. I love it, man. This is great, dude. I love it. I love it. Cause I think, I think the pendulum swings, right? Yeah. Like we get super digital, we get away, everything's online. And then it's like, we don't feel fulfilled. Right. 
And then we shift away from that. And I love Facebook. I love, I love um, the social media thing. I, but I'm a learner and I'm, I don't have empathy very low. So I'll see something and I don't tend to get wrapped up in it. I can just look at it and go, okay, cool. What can I learn from that? What can I take? And I've got friends that I've met on Facebook first that are, that are family now. Yeah. So I love that as a tool, but it's I also look at it like any other tool. Right. It's <laughs> right? A tool. Exactly. The tool. Yeah. So I think, I think there is vulnerability in that and being able to say, Hey, this doesn't really, this doesn't really serve me. Right. right? And, and being well, able to say when, when, when people tell me that the future of the church is all digital and all online, I'm like, bull crap. That's crazy. No. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. great tool for people that don't want to show up to church and like, you know, be weirded out and check, like they, they want to check out what church is like before they step in. But at the end of the day, there's nothing that'll, there's nothing that can replace the in-person gathering, the in-person meeting with people. Mm-hmm. I mean, even vulnerability and transparency across a screen, it's something, but it's not, it's different yeah. when you're actually sitting with somebody in person talking about oh. what you're dealing with, really struggling with. Yeah. And you could feel like, you could feel the energy shift, right? Like, I mean, just, just being in a room, if, if my first experience back at church had been online, Right. I guarantee you, I would have been on Facebook, in Twitter, checking, scrolling Instagram, not hearing the message necessarily, but a hundred percent not feeling it. Like you walk into that room and, you know, and it's, it, this is probably, you know, relevant to most churches. You walk into a room with worship music and other people, and you can sense the, the energy that's vibing there and you can, you can tell what's happening. Yep. So I, you know, and, and for me, the other piece that I really love that we've been talking about is like, you know, and I don't know if we'll keep this in or not, but the church is not the building. Like right. the idea that we can go grab coffee, three or four of us and have community or small group or whatever that looks like, the need for human interaction and connection is so deep yep. that I think the pandemic is going to bring people back too. into yep. like whatever that looks like and yeah, and, that, and, and 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 you can tell the vibe of people good or bad 100 percent. you walk in when you walk in and, the, and it's a it's a vibe of people that are judgmental and self-righteous and and mm-hmm. they're not getting raw they're not there there is not unconditional acceptance there is conditional acceptance yeah you can tell it from the minute you walk in it's a it's a vibe that gets communicated as soon as you yeah. hit, the, hit the room so that's where i'm like man that like you can see that stuff and so that's where I'm like online, great tool. Make sure that the church isn't like killing chickens in service and doing some weird stuff. Yes. But it's important. a tool. It's yeah. not the end of the deal. Nothing's more yeah. important than you and I linking up for coffee and being in person and and actually life on life, man. Life on life. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to, you gotta be able you gotta be able to live those things in community yeah. with one another, or it's just hollow. Like yeah. it sounds good. It's just sound bites though. Like, you know there's no depth to it. And I feel like, I feel like that's such an important aspect that a lot of people, I think during this time of pandemic are missing is that depth of community, you know, mostly based in fear um, because of whatever noise or information or diet they're taking in of, of what's what. And, and that for me has been, you know, 
really interesting because like I mentioned, like empathy is kind of low for me. So let's kind of shift this a little bit to talking about that though, because like as a leader in your community, you have to make decisions, you know, and you don't make them on your own. You've got a team of people that you work with, but you guys got to make decisions about, you know, masks, no masks in person, not in person, you know, how do we show up for the least of us, which is a, is a, a real, you know, thing. Cause I mean, you know, I, weather be damned I'll, I'll i got four wheel drive i'll, I'll get there yeah. but we got to consider like what risk are we putting people into and i think that's also an area where you have to be really vulnerable about what you're choosing into yeah. because like i know you well enough to know that you got four wheel drive too let's go let's all get in person that community is important but sometimes you have to put your own things aside to think about the bigger picture so how do you do that? What's the balance point or is there one or is it like you just feel it or? I think, I think one of the biggest keys in making decisions like that from a leadership perspective is to make sure that you're not being influenced by the wrong things. You know, like when we were making decisions to go online with our church services versus in person, when our COVID numbers were really, really high in our county, I just want to make sure that I wasn't being influenced by grumpy people in the church that just really wanted us to be together and meet in person and screw the government. I want to make sure I wasn't being influenced by liberal or conservative media. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to be influenced by any of it. What I really want to be influenced by is just like what should always influence me as a follower of Jesus, which is man, like what's, what's the, the decision that we should make that would promote the love of people like Jesus loves people. And I hated doing church online. I'd rather be in person. But when our numbers are 15% positivity in the community, you, I mean, the numbers are the numbers, man. Numbers don't lie, but you can, you can use numbers to tell whatever story you want. So numbers, you can kind of make numbers lie. Yeah. But like, I, I just looked at those numbers, our elders and our, our leadership team looked at those numbers and we were just like, man, the most loving thing we can do is make sure this thing doesn't spread. And, you know, we were starting to hear stories of people in our community that um, people in our church community who were getting COVID, whose family members were dying of yeah. COVID. And so we just saw that and like, man, the most loving thing we can do is go back online for a little bit. And so, yeah, I just think you make sure you're not being influenced by the wrong things. You got to be, be aware of what's driving you. Is it a fear of man? Is it a fear of someone's opinion of you? Is the fear of um, a fear of the future? I mean, part of me, the reason, the reason I didn't want to go back online in November was that I feared that we would lose momentum as a church and we'd lose people. Mm. And yeah. you know what? We did. Yeah, <laughs> we had some people that left the church during those few months and they went to churches that stayed open and said, screw COVID. And that's all that's good, man. That's all good. But if I had let that fear of losing people motivate me, I would have done the, the, what I in, in my heart of hearts felt like was the the wrong thing to do. I, mean, I feel like the loving thing to do was go online for a little bit. So I think you got to make sure you're being influenced by the right things. You're always being influenced by something. There's no leadership decision you can make that isn't influenced by something. But you as the leader get to decide what are your inputs? What are you going to allow to, to influence you? And that, that requires a lot of vulnerability to say, you know what? I am afraid of losing people. I am afraid of losing moments. I am afraid of coming off as too liberal or too conservative or, or is this a political statement? The election's next week. Man, I'm afraid of all that. But I'm it's choosing not to let that motivate me. It's so crazy how everything today is a political statement. Always. 
you know, doesn't matter what you wear. I mean, I, I purchased a hat that I liked. I liked the message on it. I liked the words. And after I got it, somebody commented on it and I dug into it and found out that like the alt-right was using it for some sort. And I was just like, it's just a man. I can't win for losing. <laughs> like, like it's, it's crazy to me how everything is politicized. Like if I buy, you know, five loaves of bread at the store, I get side eye from people cause I'm hoarding. And I was like, no fool. I got eight kids and French toast takes two loaves of bread. Like <laughs> it's not me trying to hoard nothing. Like, you don't like come out and, and then they look at me cause I drive a mini Cooper as like my car. They don't see the, you know, 10 seat suburban that's parked right. in the driveway. They're like, you ain't got eight kids. Trust me. Just cause I drive a mini Cooper sometimes does not mean <laughs> it's a clown car. <laughs> everything's political though man everything's political it's crazy and and i've kind of gotten to the place and i think i think you could probably back this up that like you almost have to just do what you're gonna do and and if you know your heart's pure and you know your intention is right you can't control all the rest of it right that's just and then and then own it own it when people interpret what you do and and you have to go back and and and, uh eat crow on anything you know like I've had a couple of times where I've been online and I've been trying to lead our church through stuff, whether it's, you know, the riots at the Capitol building, um, all that kind of stuff. And I had people that interpreted everything I said in different ways. And some people really got hurt over some different things I've said over the past year. And you yeah. know what? It's great for me to hear that. And, and I, I love hearing, I love, I love clearing up stuff like that because I think it's a great opportunity for us to come together and learn more about each other for me to grow as a yeah. communicator but it requires vulnerability and transparency to be able to say, Ooh, it does. <laughs> like, there, there, there was something I said recently on a, on a Thursday night live a while back where I said, I was talking about um, systemic racism and some of this kind of stuff. And, <clears throat> and I said the phrase that our country was solely built on the backs of black and brown slaves. Well, some people okay. got offended by that. Okay. And honestly, I didn't think I said the word solely. Sure. And, and some, some people took that as a, um, I, uh, and thought that I was kind of disparaging our troops that, you know, the, the, the military has been a large part of building our country and all that. I was like, oh man, I didn't mean any disrespect to our troops. And so I had some people that I, I owned it and said, Hey man, I'm so sorry that I said the word solely, but our country was built on the backs of black and brown slaves. It was also, it was also built on the sacrifice of our military for sure. Both can be true. They're not exclusive, but it's it's great learning for me to know there's different people coming from different perspectives and no yeah. matter what is said in this political environment there's no way you can walk the tightrope right now and not offend someone but i think i think what's required of of a leader that's going to that's going to bring people together this is one of my convictions we'll see if it's true in the years to come cuz we're trying to bring people together is i think you got to just be willing to meet with people and say oh i'm so sorry that you felt that when I said that I'm so sorry I said that wrong I'm so sorry that what what I communicated hit you like that that's not what I intended at all um because at the end of the day I'm not out to protect my butt I'm not out to protect my reputation I'm out to just help people come together and grow together and and see who Jesus really is and what he's really all about and I don't want anything to, to deter people in that but in this age I'm telling you you can't say anything no, it's, so, so really, you have to make the choice. Are you going to be a silent leader, or are you yeah. going to continue to speak and just own it when you're wrong? Yeah. And I decided at the end of the day, I've I've 
I've made enough mistakes in my life and I feel like God has forgiven me of so much that it's easy for me at this point to say, oh yeah, I said something wrong. Sorry, I'm stupid. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. Like I can, I can own that and I can grow from it. No, no, no big deal. Yeah. And, and when I say following Jesus has changed my life, for those of you that aren't faith people, that's part of what I mean. It's like, because I believe that God knows everything I've ever done and he loves me and forgives me anyway, I now yep. have the freedom to own every mistake I make and not hide anything because trust me, he's forgiven me of way worse than me saying one wrong word in a podcast. Yeah. That's okay. I want to back that up a little bit because that's super empowering. And so can you say that again? Like, because I, because uh, you know, the, the Christian Jesus teaching is that in, in Jesus, you are fully known and fully loved, meaning God knows everything about you, every bad thought, every bad behavior, every dark skeleton you got in your closet. He knows it all. He loves you still, and he forgives you of all of it. And so if that's the case, I am now free to own my mistakes, to own my issues, because like whatever I've done, it can't, yep. it can't possibly mount up to the load of mistakes that I've already been forgiven for so it's like the forgiveness I've received yeah. in Jesus has now freed me up to be completely vulnerable and transparent and I can own anything now. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, because as you're saying that, I'm thinking about, you know, one of my intentions is to really help people identify what empowers them and what disempowers them. Right. And if it's disempowering to you, you got to kind of take it under, you know, kind of put it on trial and go, is this really working for me? Is this really good for me? And and not does it feel good. I saw something the other day that was like, if it doesn't feel good, it isn't of Jesus or it isn't of God. And I was like, yeah, that's not true. Cause, cause I'm sure God's walked you through some things that you didn't feel great about in the moment. Right. Like you don't just walk through open doors, always feeling good about it. Dude. But the idea that, that from an accountability standpoint, cause I've, I've come to the place, you know, I mean, I've been sober 17 years. Uh, you know, I've, 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 my wife and I renewed our vows. We skipped the counseling part and went straight to like, we need to do over because I, I was not honoring our marriage in the beginning. And so we renewed our vows and I've, I've worked my way through very much so because I wasn't a Jesus follower then by the grace of my wife who yeah. accepted all my stuff and kept walking side by side with me when a lot of people told her she shouldn't. And it's, it's analogous to what you're saying, but most people don't have partners who will put up with the things that my wife put up with. And, and so I love that because that's kind of how I feel is you get to a place where it's like, well, if I'm forgiven, it doesn't give you carte blanche to just do whatever you want and then go, oh, I'm forgiven, right? It's kind of the opposite. It's like, if I'm forgiven, I want to show up as big as possible and as correct as possible but I know that when I stray or if I do something, especially in a time right now where like everything is offending somebody, right? If they have the, the wherewithal to come to you and say, Hey, you offended me, then you get the opportunity to own it and say, you know, and it's funny. Cause like we even argue nowadays about how to apologize. Yeah. Like, like, I'm sorry that made you feel that way. Cause I can't make you feel anything. Like, 
and is it right or wrong? Cause like what you said, I would, I would agree with, I mean, we could unpack the semantics of the word solely, but like the country was built on the backs of like, that's, that's kind of hard to, you know, argue. And at the same time, somebody listening to this right now is, is probably tuned, turned us off already because, because they disagree, but someone else totally agrees. And so which one of them is right? You know, and, and you just gotta, you, you, you gotta be willing to hear, hear where people are coming from on that. You know, I think, there's normally always something when, when there's, when you get upset about something like that, there's, there's always something motivated. There's always like a, you know, there's a, um, a, a fear or there's a wound or there's a conviction that's great for everyone to learn. But like, I, I love learning from people. And, um, yeah. and at the end of the day, man, that's where I, again, I come back to Jesus. Like if you are fully forgiven, then you're safe. You're safe to just say what's on your mind, what's on your heart and what you're dealing with. And, you know, I think that one of the things I was processing through, you know, thinking about today's conversation is just vulnerability, um, you know, to, to the degree, to the degree of which you're willing to be vulnerable, that's the degree to which you're able to be held accountable. Like you, you are not able to be held accountable for that, which you are not able to verbally say out loud and be vulnerable about. Right. hundred percent. But you're only willing to be vulnerable to the extent that you feel safe. Like if, if you're going to get judged, if you're going to get kicked out, if you're going to get the stank guy thrown at you, when you get vulnerable, you're not safe. Well, you have to have 100% safety if you want 100% vulnerability. If you want 100% vulnerability, that's what leads to true accountability and life change. And that's why I've found the way of Jesus to be so powerful is that in Jesus, I'm fully known and fully loved. I have 100% safety. So I would, I'm, I'm vulnerable. Yeah, I would argue that only in Jesus would you have that because for me, like... I feel like in order to be truly vulnerable, you have to be willing to be unsafe to some extent, because I know there's things I've shared with my wife that did not go well. And, and we've resolved those things. And I'm sure you've been in the same position, right? Where you have to be vulnerable about or take yourself to account for something, but the person involved is going to react and they're going to be hurt and they're going to have to grieve or process or whatever. And so to your point, like it's really kind of only through the grace of God that you can be a hundred percent. And the upside is for me, what I've sort of realized recently is he already knows everything. Right. Right. So like, like, not owning it is just lying to yourself because you can't lie. Right. Like, like, and even if you don't believe in God or you're not a Jesus follower, most people of any spiritual path are going to say, you know, that it's all universal and that, that it's all known. And so even if you're not walking that path right now, right. you kind of have to own that. Like none of us have secrets from the creator, whoever that is for you. Right. And, and that was very freeing because I've been doing a lot of work with my own, with my own wife in regards to like, I have to go down this road and like this, this podcast, this experiment that I'm doing, this project, it takes from her time. It takes from her thing. And she doesn't fully understand it necessarily. Um, but I'm like drawn into it. And it's like, I, I have to share that with her that like, I don't even fully understand what I'm doing yet. I just know I got to do it. And I know that somebody listening at some point is going to make a shift in their life that is going to help them improve. 
And that's going to have a ripple on their kids, on their spouse, on their parents, whoever. And like, that's work that I can't shy away from. That's great, man. And, and so, yeah, it's just the idea of God knowing everything already frees you up to be totally raw. Yeah. That's, that's then, profound, man. Well, and that's why I think that even if you wouldn't consider yourself a, a faith person or a God person, I mean, like you said, you know, there are no secrets from the creator. Even if you don't believe in a creator, even if you're in a, in an atheistic place, there are no secrets from yourself. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. each of us knows how messed up we are. If we come to terms with it, like we know yeah. that stuff goes through our mind and goes through our heart. And that's why I think, you know, and this is going to sound like a, a typical pastor speak a little bit. I just think no matter what you believe, I think you would benefit from being a part of a faith community and being part of a church. Cause especially if it, I mean, I'll say exclusively if it's a Jesus loving, Jesus preaching, teaching church. Because yes. I'm telling you, if there's a church that is is really consumed with the teachings of Jesus, you're going to find there a whole bunch of people that are messed up like you are, that have issues like you do, but who are filled with grace and compassion and who are able to hear what you're going through and go, oh yeah, I've been there too. Same, same here. I've, I've been there. Is it going to be hard for them to swallow? Absolutely. Sure. But in, in the way of Jesus, the, the reason that we have accountability partners, reason we get raw with each other is that if I share something with you that's really, really hurtful about something I've done or, or makes you think, man, that, like Petey's, Petey's messed up, Petey's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard because I don't know if you fully accept me or not. And I don't know if I'm fully safe yet, but I got vulnerable with you and that was a risk. But now it gives you the opportunity to grow through it and say, okay, my yeah. first reaction to him was, man, I can't believe a pastor said that. I can't believe a pastor thinks that. I can't believe, man, that's messed up. Then it gives you the pro- the opportunity to go, well, wait a minute. Maybe, I, I mean, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat and I've, I've dealt with stuff like that before too. And it gives you a chance to more honestly evaluate yourself. It gives you the opportunity to grow in grace and forgiveness. I mean, I, I laugh yeah. all the time with my wife. Like I've given my wife so many opportunities over the course of our marriage and our, our relationship to grow in grace and forgiveness. She's had... <laughs> I mean, she just had to, you know, yeah. but, I, but I also know but friends- you gave her that opportunity. See, like what a gift that you've given her. Right, right. <laughs> what a gift. But here's the thing, though. I know friends. I know pastor friends who've never gotten honest and raw with their spouse mm-hmm. about who they really are. And, and the reason they don't is that they're afraid of what they're going to think of them. Yep. And I just say, OK, that's fine if you want to. That's cool. But at the end of the day you are robbing your wife of the opportunity to know who you really are. Yeah. To, to fully know and fully love you and to yeah. doing so become more like Jesus. So, I mean, this is why, this is why James, the brother of Jesus would say, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. It, it, it and that's, that's not like a miraculous, like, you know, smack somebody in the forehead and they're healed. Yeah. It's the truth about what you and I are talking about, what your whole podcast is about is that when you get vulnerable and you confess what you're really going through, it bakes in accountability to your life to the degree which you're vulnerable to that degree, you'll be held accountable. And that's how you find true healing and true restoration in your life is when other people know what you're, you're dealing with and they love you and accept you anyways. Oh my gosh, man, that is such a freeing and liberating experience. It's so, so good because it, it, it pulls that addiction, that thing, the sin, the the mistake, whatever word you want to use, no matter what your faith background is. Sure. It drags that thing that's had power over you out into the light. And now that power is given no longer to the addiction, no longer to the substance, no longer to the relationship, whatever. 
that power is now given to the person you, you told it to. Yeah. Now they have the power to say, hey, you told me this last week. How's that going? Yep. Oh my gosh, that's a that 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 right there is a liberating, transforming experience, and that can happen. I, I know, I know, skeptics right now listening to this are, are are thinking that that can happen outside of a church for sure. Hundred percent. That's just basic principles of life. I'm just yeah. telling you, the church of full of Jesus followers, where the message of, of who Jesus really is 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 being taught, you're gonna find a whole bunch of people where you could have that with, even if you don't believe in Jesus. Yeah. You know, and that's that's why we say things like at Peak City, you can belong before you believe. Yep. You can come here and receive all the benefits of community before you even, you don't even have to believe. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. And I think I think the thing that I would take from that also would be to invite people if you hear somebody say something or act in a way or or put out an idea that that you're confused by or you're hurt by or you're conflicted by, let them know that. Fire yep. off an email. Say, "Hey, can we grab coffee?" Tell me more. One of the biggest tools my wife taught me, and I will share with as many people that will listen, is the ability to say to somebody instead of, well, that's crazy, or you thought what? Or you said is, tell me more. Tell me more. Because it immediately gives them permission to expand on the idea without under, without them needing to know that you think they're nuts or right. that you're pissed about what they said and just go, oh, well, tell me more. And, and then you get the context. Cause I think a lot of times we say things, you know, like, you know, the country's built solely on the backs of black and brown people that could probably be received five or six different ways. Mm -hmm. And so I can totally understand that. And it requires the people you're in relationship with to have the permission and the comfort to come to you and say, Hey, what did you mean? But tell me more. Cause uh, that hurt. Right. Yep. And then when you get the opportunity to explain yourself, I think nine times out of 10, you don't even have to apologize because then they're able to go, oh, OK, cool. Because what I heard was this whole other thing and we was about to throw down. <laughs> right. It's so, funny. So, so like when that happened, and it's so funny because I know I know people from our church are going to listen to this, which is hilarious because I didn't even plan on sharing this whole thing. But it's, it's a gr- great thing for us to learn from. When that happened, I actually went out to uh, pizza and beer with a, with a guy from our church, a good friend of mine who heard that and he did exactly what you're saying. He's like, help me understand. Yeah. You said that. Here's what I heard. Here's what I was thinking. Just help me understand. And when I shared my perspective with him and, <clears throat> and I shared where that was coming from and, um, and you know, how, how when the riots were happening at the Capitol that I had, you know, friends, dear friends of, of color who were asking me, what do you think about this? What are you going to say about this? How are you going to lead your church through this? And and so just he- hearing those piece of information help. And at the end of it, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, here's what I was thinking. And I got to learn from him. I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful back and forth. And, you know, I think that's, that is such a crucial piece to the, like, how do we fix our, yeah. our culture and our country right now is the ability to like have civil disagreements. Yep. I mean, civil disagreement is just not even heard of today it, it it's almost non-existent and i think that experience that you just shared what that does is it builds trust right because the next time you say something that that person doesn't fully understand he's not going to use his own filters and bias to create a story right it, which and, and i don't mean that in a, in a negative way we all have filters that's why we receive the same seven words in a different way yep. right we all have filters we all have bias it's from our upbringing i mean like 
And we all use those in different ways. I mean, you know, you tell me you're from Kentucky and I immediately think that you drive a pickup truck, that you drink bourbon, that you, you know, X, Y, Z, right? Whatever those things are. And, and while well, you do drink bourbon, uh, which- you had, you had one out of those two things, right? Yeah, I got one right, right? But like we, we make these judgments and the more that we have community and conversation with one another, the more we build trust and you get to know somebody's heart and you have to go, oh, wow. Okay, well, I heard it this way, but I know Petey. And he wouldn't mean that. Right. And so, and the fact that like they're able to ask you and you're able to communicate it. Cause a lot of times I hear people say things and then I'll ask them, well, tell me more. And they don't have anywhere to go. And it's like, cause they're just reading the headlines and they don't really understand. Yeah. And, and that's where I think the vulnerability piece comes back around to like, like mean what you say. And, and, and if you don't understand or you don't really believe it, be open to like, Oh, maybe, maybe spouting off what so-and-so said about this isn't like the gospel, right? Like it's, we need to dive in a little more, which unfortunately not everybody has time for, you know, we live in such a crazy world where everybody, you know, you got two income homes, you got people with, you know, they're just trying to put food on the table sometimes. Well, it's hard. Um, you know, I think that what you're talking about that and what we're talking about, that civil disagreement, that uh, ability to seek understanding, seek to understand before being understood all of that mm -hmm. it's it's great and it sounds awesome i think what i what i i long for and i pray for especially for our, for our church community is just that people would see the beauty of that and not just the pain because you know that living in that tension it just doesn't feel good mm -hmm. and the easier option would be to do what the rest of the world is doing which is just like huddling up with their people that believe exactly what they believe and and you know retracting your yeah. finding that your echo chamber yeah find, find find the think tank you know find find the think tank and and that that would be easier and and i'll say i've seen it in churches i've seen it everywhere there's a lot of a lot of churches out there that are just filled with people that they all vote the same way they all think the same way they all there is no need to seek to understand because they all understand each other yeah and and that's why i love peak city or i love our church family so much but I also, I, I just pray that our people continue to see the beauty in that because it is hard. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome for me to be able to say in a setting like this, because anybody that's listening that doesn't go to church, they're, they're sitting there thinking, man, there's a church out there that has Democrats and Republicans <laughs> sitting side by side. Side by there's side. The, yeah, you know, like there's a church out there that has pro-life and pro-choice people sitting next to each other. There's a church out there that has, you know, all kinds of, um, all kinds of spectrums all represented. Yep. And... And that sounds awesome to the world outside because that's what our world needs. Yeah. I just know that it's, it's hard when you don't always leave feeling like your views were always affirmed and represented. Yeah. You know? And so I, I just pray that our people really see the beauty of it. Cause I do think it's the key to helping the world understand who Jesus is. And I think it's the key to healing, uh, healing our country and our culture in a lot of ways, but man it's hard, you know, it's hard. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more with that. It's like the. It's like the. It's like the the the, the rubber band uh, 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 illustration I've seen so many preachers use. It's like a a rubber band that isn't held in tension has no power. Yeah. You hold it on one side, there's no power. Just you hold lamp, it together, no there. Power. You hold both sides together. That's where the power is. But that tension spot. Yeah. Oh, it's just uncomfortable to live in. But yeah. that's where all the growth happens, and you know that's well, why I'm 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 praying that our that all of our people, not just our church, 
every church, every people, every every major group in, in the country. I'm praying that we just get to a place where we we crave that and we look forward to that. We don't yeah. reject that because it's uncomfortable. Yeah, we have to. I mean, there's there's really two states of of existence in nature. There's growth and decay. Like and that's the thing. And where I've sort of come and you just nailed it perfectly is so many of us are trying to resolve the tension. And it's the wrong mission. It isn't to resolve the tension. It's to find your space in it and to recognize that without it, there's no growth. Right. And and some people will claim to be content. You know, I've got, I've got colleagues and friends who've been doing the same thing for 25 years and they're going to retire from that. And they're going to stay in their one little house that they bought when they were 25 and and they say they're content. I don't believe them though. Right. I really don't. And, and because there's no growth. Right. And, and I love the way that you, you hit that. And so, I mean, honestly, I think that's a really great place to sort of like wrap it up because it, it gives people who are listening something to really marinate on. Yeah. Um, but I do want to ask a couple of just, open-ended kind of questions love it come on so we can give people somewhere to go so first of all what's your favorite bourbon oh man i know it's a tough question well here's the thing on on bourbon because of the way bourbon has just exploded in the market over the past several mm-hmm. years the stuff has gotten expensive <laughs> this is true your boy your boy doesn't drink expensive bourbon so when I say what's my favorite, there's some big time bourbon connoisseurs out there that they're going to be like, really? I'm like, well, I'm not spending more than like 40 or 50 bucks a bottle, man. I, the, the, the pastor's budget ain't allowing for that. Um, <laughs> right. So, uh, man, I, uh, bullet bourbon is probably my, mm-hmm. my most regular that I, I purchase often. I think you can do a lot with it. So I like bullet used to be a Woodford reserve guy, just cause I actually, mm-hmm. uh, my, the first church I ever worked at was in Woodford County, Kentucky. So, okay. So that's kind of like a home, a home, uh, yeah, yeah, allegiance. But I'd say, I'd say bullets probably my favorite. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm not picky as long as it's like, you know, above fifteen bucks a bottle. My taste is about the same. You know, my, I'm, yep. I'm good either way, bro. I'm good. Now, are you straight? Are you a little bit of spring water? Are you over ice? Uh, I'll go. I'll mostly go neat. Okay. Occasionally, occasionally I'll go ice. Um, but mostly just neat, man. Just straight, neat. Yep. I like it, man. It's good. I love it. I used to. I used to like it a lot. And I used to drink Woodford. And, and I was a I was a maker's guy for a long time. Oh yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. Um, but what I discovered is that the 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 McCoy clan history is not jive well with the spirits. Yep. So I steer I steer clear of <laughs> you gotta know, gotta know how you handle it, all that and a hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. I love the craftsmanship, the history, the just, there's so many things about it that are just cool. Yeah. yeah. The, the, I still watch all the documentaries come out and I love watching, Yeah. but yeah, I have, I, I do not partake. Um, okay. So the other thing I want to ask you is think back in the last 12 months or so. And if you got to go a little farther back, cause it's pandemic season, what's the best hundred dollars you've spent? Mm. And it can be like a little more if you know, yeah. You know, I think um, this is going to sound weird, but uh, especially because we were talking about bourbon. This is going like to make it sound like uh, 
I'm like a, a, a really, uh, really bad pastor because I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about drinking and smoking. <laughs> ah. Anybody, anybody that watches this that's, you know, under the age of 18 or anything, is they're going to be like, who is my pastor? Um, I'll tell you what. So I have a buddy. He's also in ministry. He's also a pastor. He, uh, he was, last time we hung out, he was smoking his grandpa's pipe that his grandpa had, had smoked for 50 years, and he passed it down to him as like a, a generational wow. gift. Yeah, yeah. And it was the coolest thing. I was like, man, that's amazing that you have your grandpa's pipe from 50, like 50 year old pipe that you're still smoking. Like that is just so cool. Yep. You know? And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have like a super close, I didn't have a close relationship with either of my grandpas. Um, uh, but just thinking through generationally and like family tree stuff, I thought, you know what, I need to start thinking about what I'm going to give my kids and my grandkids one day. And I don't have a lot to give them. I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go buy a nice pipe. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna start smoking it from time to time. And one day I'm gonna be that cool old grandpa that says to his grandson, here's a pipe that I've smoked for 50 years and you can have it. And that to me is gonna be such a rewarding thing. Comma and. Comma during, and. <laughs> during the pandemic, I'll tell you what will make you feel low, no stress and, 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 and uh, put your soul at rest knowing that everything's gonna be okay is when you can sit on the back porch and smoke a pipe and look at the mountains and just see, you know what? It's all good. This is going to pass. I, I've had some, some, some of my most meaningful conversations with, with God while smoking a pipe on the back porch, looking at the beautiful mountains, man. So it's, it's, it's been a very, very good $100 spent. I have to be honest, that is about as far away from an answer as I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, and I, you know, you, you, we've talked about this, you know, being, being in your mid thirties and named Petey and, and all that. Yeah. And, and you, you've shared how, you know, it's it, where that comes from, but yeah. being old man Petey is way cooler than 35 year old Petey, but 35 year old Petey sitting on the porch with a bourbon and a pipe, like you're, you're, you've given a lot of thought to this. <laughs> That's how, hey, that's how, I love it. that's how I got through the pandemic, okay, was just hanging out on that's the back amazing. porch, knowing, you know what, the, the world has seen far worse days than this, and we're going to see better days, and this too shall pass. No, this too shall I pass. love it. That is amazing. <laughs> that is the best. Okay, so first episode, or our first live interview that we're going to do, and the answer to that question is a pipe. So I think you've set the bar pretty high on you know, outside the box answers. Well, I, I hope it, it helps, man. I hope it helps. I, I, I can recommend you to a good pipe shop here in town with great guys. They'll take care of you if you need. I, I bet you could. I bet you could. I love it. So if you're looking for, if you're looking for any advice on pipes, go find Petey. I can help you. Peak City Church. That's right. He'll help <laughs> you out. I Somebody is going to show up at that church and ask you for some yeah. pipe advice now. So also, also, I'm going to get an affiliate email. link. Also, I'm gonna get some emails from people saying, "Hey, can you help me understand this uh, this pipe thing?" Exactly. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell the, me more. The pipe and Tell me more. I love it. I love it. Listen, man, I I couldn't be more grateful, and I'm so appreciative of your time today, and all the things, and and I consider you a brother, and I just eternally grateful for yeah. what you've done for my family, for the guidance that you've been able to provide, and the the insight and 
And I am a testament because I know I occasionally fire off an email to you with, hey, nice job. And tell me more about this because <laughs> I'm struggling here. I need some help. And you've always come with that smile and that grace and that, hey, go check this out and hit me back later. So thank you awesome. so much. With that, we're going we're gonna to wrap this episode up. Unless you have any last words you want to Nothing, man. Encouraging everybody in your and everybody's listening. Everybody in the shift audience, man. Keep going. Subscribe to it. What what Keith's on on onto here is solid, solid. So keep keep rolling with him. And I uh, love you guys. Honestly, I, I'm I'm very honored to be on the show with you, man. Love you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. With that, we're gonna close out episode one, and we will see you guys on the next one. And you. you can uh, subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the places. You can check out the book, Choose Different, available on Amazon. And if you have feedback, I don't believe in failure, only feedback. So email us at feedback at togetherweshift.com. We'll see you on the next one. Bye.